Glory to God. We thank God for His goodness, and we thank God for the um, thing that He's called us to, to be able to bring the word of faith into the lives of the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Now, uh, this morning, I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of, uh, let's go to the book of uh, Hebrews. And we're going to launch out into something, but before, while you're turning there to Hebrews chapter 12, I, when we were, uh, when Pastor was on the platform a while ago, he was talking about, I forget exactly what it was he said, but it reminded me of something about, uh, that, that I have used, uh, a story that I've used uh, over the past recent years in order to uh, just encourage people and help people take a stand. And it's something that happened, I believe it happened right here in Oregon. If it wasn't Oregon, it was Washington State. But, um, you know, um, a lot of times the devil will come messing around in people's lives and causing problems and things like that. And sometimes you've got to learn to put your foot down and say, not today. Not today. You know, some, the devil says he's going to steal your life. Well, you know, they told Jesus that. They said, they told Jesus, they said, Herod is looking for you. After he had killed John the Baptist, after he'd cut his head off, said, Herod's coming after you. And Jesus said, you tell that fox not today. Not today. He said, you tell him today I'll walk. Tomorrow I'll walk. And the third day I'll be perfected. No man takes my life away from me. It's called faith. It's called understanding who you are. You have a say-so in, in, uh, in, in your life. And a lot of times, you know, the reason that people encounter problems is just because they, they just don't put the brakes on. And there's times you just got to put the brakes on what the devil's doing. The scripture says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And sometimes resisting the devil just means putting your foot down and saying, not today. I heard a story about a lady, and I believe it was here in Oregon. Anyway, it was on the national news, on the, you know, I read it on the internet. But there was a lady who was uh, jogging in a nice park in one of the, you know, larger cities. And um, they had all the jogging trails and, uh, you know, beautiful landscaping and uh, men's and women's rooms and so forth. Well, she'd been out jogging that day, and she uh, uh, went into uh, the ladies' room. And uh, she said as she was finishing up washing her hands, she just got this weird feeling. And she turned around and looked, and a man had come in the ladies' room with her. Maybe some of y'all heard this story or, or read about it. A man had come in that ladies' room with her. And all of a sudden, he pounced on her and, and, and forced her to the ground and was dragging her into the stall, uh, you know, at best to assault her, maybe even to murder her. Turned out he was a, he was a convicted sex offender that uh, had, uh, you know, been there in the park stalking. And so she said, I was paralyzed with fear as he held me down. I was paralyzed. And then she said, all of a sudden, from down on the inside, something rose up out of me. Now, I'm going to give you the, the Sunday morning G-rated version of what she said, okay? But I think you'll get it. She probably wasn't even a believer. But anyway, she said, I was laying there and I was just paralyzed with fear. And all of a sudden, something come up, came up from the inside and she began to shout, Not today, motor scooter. That's the G-rated version. <laughs> Not today, motor scooter. And she said, as she said that, all of a sudden... Uh, memory of, of uh, self-defense classes that she had taken came back to her. She began to remember the impact or, you know, the principle of, of hard uh, surfaces against soft tissue. So she began to elbow and headbutt and knee and fight. And she fought that man off of him all the time shouting, Not today, motor scooter. 
Not today, you motor scooter. Amen. She said she fought him off. She jumped up, ran out of the women's room, and locked the door, locked him in the women's room. <laughs> Called the police, and that's when they found out that he was a convicted sex offender who had, who, who had come after her. And she turned a potential tragedy into a great victory and even a testimony just by declaring, not today, motor scooter. And there's times you need to put your foot down when the devil goes to messing and say, not today, you motor scooter. Glory to God. God's got different plans for me today, and so do I. Hallelujah. So I just, I wanted to share that with you because I've used it all over the world, you know, and it came from right here, I believe, in Oregon. Uh, I don't know who that lady was, but I tipped my hat to her. Way to go, girl. Every believer could learn a lesson from that. You know, this morning, as I say, we're going to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, I'm going to, we were in the service uh, the other night, the uh, prayer service, and the Lord shared some things with me. And I began to, uh, I've, been, I've been thinking about these things, meditating on these things for the past several days. And so I want to, uh, I just want to cue off of the service that we had the other night and um, talk to you a little bit about a word God's given me for this church. You know, I go places, and the Word always works, and there's, there's things that the Lord has me share in multiple places. But I've got some things for this church because I believe the Lord has spoken to us uh, in, in uh, Friday night service, and we, we, must not, we must not just let these things slip. If God gives us a Word, let's hold on to it. Let's, let's milk it for all that it's worth and understand what the Lord is saying to us so that we don't fall short. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. This, uh, I believe Pastor Trudy brought this out and said this. She said, uh, she read this scripture in verse 1 says, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Now, when we read that, a lot of times we'll read that passage and we'll talk about the race, but I want to connect it to, to the rest of this chapter. Because as the Lord continues talking about this, these things, He moves right into the importance that the believer not despise the chastening of the Lord. Now, a lot of times when you hear the word chastening, and you see that in verse um, 7, 8, and 9, 10, he talks about how uh, he likens it to a father and a son, a father chastening a son. And so a lot of times it's, it's, it's got a negative connotation in your mind. Uh, you know, you think it may be the chastening of your father when you were a, a small child, and that meant a whipping. At least that's what it meant to me, you know or at least a, a bad experience, you know. Uh, some things as bad as a whipping, you know, because a whipping's over with, but when Dad gives you the look and when he clouds up and rains all over you, that's, that's no fun. But understand that that's just one side of, of chastening. Really, the word chastening would be better translated correction, all right, not punishment. Chastening has a punishment connotation. But, but really, the, 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 the root of this word, the Greek word, and, the, and even the concept here, if we look at it in, in the light of maturity, it's correction. 
Remember, he starts off by talking about let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Well, now race and, and other things in the Bible like harken back to sporting events. A race is a competition. A race is a sporting event. And so any, any professional athlete, anybody that, that uh, runs track or, or plays ball or any kind of sporting event is going to have a coach. And what we've got here, we've got coach talking here, okay? Not, not angry father. It just so happens that the coach is our father. But he's, he's trying to help us run the race and, and, and finish the race successfully, cross the finish line, hear the roars of the crowd. And so understand that correction is something that you always need. The professional golfers, I mean the best of the best, have coaches that help them make small corrections. Sometimes when you're starting out, the corrections are big. But I dare say most of us have gone through that phase of things where the big things have been corrected. Now then it's just fine-tuning. And yet there's always room for improvement, is there not? Amen. And so it just so happens that the coach is also our loving Heavenly Father, and I stress loving. One of the greatest coaches that ever lived was a man named John Wooden. I'm sure a lot of you people have heard of him. He was the coach for the UCLA Bruins. In 2010, I believe he went home to be with the Lord. In 2009, he was named by the Sporting News as the greatest coach of all time. And this, this man, he really, his players said that he, he really spent more time talking to them about character and about their own lives than he did, you know, uh, basketball strategies and tactics. He wanted them to be men of character. He told them things like, you know, if you, if you will be a man of character, then you, you might become a good ball player. But he would stress the, 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 the you know, the human and, the, and the, the, the important side of things rather than just coaching the, the mechanics of the game. And he carried a card that he would hand out if you were fortunate enough to be uh, the recipient of one of these cards. And on it, it had a picture of him and his father. And the heading of the card said, Timeless Wisdom from a godly father. And it said as simple as this. It was three things. Never lie, never cheat, never steal. And then three more things, don'ts. Don't whine, don't complain, don't make excuses. That was the timeless advice from a godly father. And see, all of his players looked to him like a father because they knew he loved them. And so it is when we read Hebrews chapter 12. God is talking to us as a coach who happens to be a godly father, a God father, a father God who loves us and wants us to finish that race. Are, are you listening to me? And so we, we read this and we realize that he'll never stop coaching us. And it's not about punishment. And it's not about making us hurt or feel bad. It's about helping us fine-tune those areas so that our stride is better, our time is better, our endurance is greater, so that the races of life that we run never end in a bad way. Are you here or not? Everybody with me? Glory to God. So, so we see here 
that he, that he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, I want you to turn with me. Here's another verse of Scripture that we went into. And we'll tie all these things together. 2 Corinthians chapter 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 20. We, and this was something that the Lord spoke to me about, and I got up and shared a little bit about it, but there was a, a time in the life of Judah in verse 1 of 2 Chronicles. Did I say Corinthians? I meant Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It says, And it came to pass after this also, the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them other besides the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. So there's this threat, there's this enemy force arrayed, multiplied against them, and they've come down and they're lying in wait and preparing an attack. Verse 3 said, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, that doesn't seem to be the smart thing to do when you're facing an enemy, is to declare a fast. Seems to me like you'd want to mobilize your special ops and, you know, gather uh, all your, all your uh, you understand what I'm saying. I mean, we're about to go to war. So what does he do? Calls a fast. But the Bible says that everybody listened to him, and they all gathered together, even the little ones gathered together to seek the Lord in verse 5. And so they begin to pray, and we won't go through the whole thing. Uh, it's not necessary today, but they prayed, and they prayed. They talked about how great God was, and they reminded Him of His covenant, which is always a smart thing to do because God is a covenant-minded God, and God keeps covenant. And when you play the covenant card, and by that I mean when you, when you talk to Him about the blood, when you, when you invoke the covenant of Abraham, when you, when you talk about the name, now then you've got His attention because God keeps covenant. So they began to talk about this to him. And then they said in verse 12, Behold this company that comes against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's a good place to have your eyes when you don't know what to do. Too many people, Christians included, are looking everywhere but there when they don't know what to do. But they looked to the Lord. And so the Lord began to speak. And you know, of course, is an interesting way that it happened. But uh, what I want you to see is this. We, we come down here to um, verse uh, 20. After the Lord had begun to speak to them, you know, by the, uh, uh, in the previous verses, and, and they had uh, worshipped, and they had prayed, and they had praised, and whatnot. It says, verse 20, They rose early in the morning, they went forth to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you know, all know this scripture. You, you should have it underlined in your Bible. If you don't, underline this last part. Very important. He said, Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe His prophets, so shall you prosper. And then afterwards, that he consulted with the people and appointed the singers. And they went out in front and began to praise God, saying, Praise the Lord, for His mercy endureth forever. But now back up to that previous verse and notice what he said once again. Believe in the Lord your God, so yet shall you be established. Believe His prophets, so shall you prosper. How many of you all are down for that? Being established and prospering. You've heard this verse of Scripture. But let me point something out to you that maybe some of you may have not considered. He's talking about two things here. 
Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe His prophet, so shall you prosper. What's the difference? Why did he talk about two things? Believing in the Lord and believing His prophets. All right, now here's how we apply this. Here's how, here's, here's how we want to break it down and understand it in light of our relationship with the Lord. Believe in the Lord your God has to do with believing His Word. There are timeless absolutes that are written in that Bible that you hold in your lap. The Word of God never changes. If it says 2,000 years ago that something was a sin, it's a sin today. Thank you for your enthusiasm. We don't really care what the modern church thinks about it or what the secular world thinks about it. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. If God says it's right, it's right. If God said do it then, He means do it now. If God said leave it alone then, you better leave it alone now. There are things in the Word of God that are timeless and they are absolute. They are, that, that's what makes them truth. The difference between a truth and a fact is this. A truth never changes. Facts change all the time. Trump, I mean, uh, uh, truth will always trump facts. Facts will never trump truth. It may be a fact that they found cancer in your body, but the truth is Jesus bore that cancer 2,000 years ago, and if we take the truth of God's Word and impose it upon the facts of the current situation, the truth will change the facts. The facts will never change the truth. Somebody says, well, you know, so-and-so died. Yeah, that has nothing to do with the truth. Yeah, but I know that person. They were a believer. Yeah, so what? God's Word still is true. Your faith shouldn't be based on what happens to somebody else anyway. Anybody whose faith is based on someone else's experience that doesn't have faith, that's not Bible faith. Are you here? I mean, even in your own experience, you shouldn't base your faith on what you've been through. Anybody that, you know, the Bible says the prayer of faith, talks about the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. Jesus told us how to pray the prayer of faith in Mark eleven twenty four. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. On, upon what basis do we believe that we receive? It's on the basis of what God's Word says. And when you start thinking, when you start letting your, your mind go to the fact, well, you know, I've prayed things before and it didn't work, you, you're already out of that place of faith. Faith is based on God's Word and God's Word alone. And God's Word never changes. I don't care who died. Bottom line is everybody's going to die. Only question is how. You're going to die a death that glorifies God or not? Thank you for your enthusiasm. <laughs> and so, so don't, don't worry about those things. Don't, don't let what happened to somebody else uh, muddy the waters in your life. You, you find what God's Word says and you stick with it. You base your life on God's Word. Listen, that's what you've based your eternal security on. That's what you've based your eternity on. You can base a few years on it down here. If it'll see you through forever, it'll get you through the rest of this life. Glory to God. So, praise the Lord. Truth will always trump facts. Facts change. Truth never changes. All right. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. That's the truth of God's Word. He's given us this, this wonderful 
Bible, this wonderful, uh, the dictates of this covenant. Spend your time in the New Testament. Don't even, don't even try to interpret the Old Testament or apply it without giving it the light of the New Testament. The New Testament is what's written to you. This is where you live. Somebody said, well, so-and-so went through this. The Jews, the, it, it, none of that matters to you. Remember, those things were written to us not for doctrine but for examples. So learn the principles out of them and don't try to live like Job lived. I'm serious. I'm serious as a train wreck. It, it just astounds me sometimes the people that get their doctrine from Job. Job wasn't a believer. He wasn't a Christian. There were no Christians in Job's time. <laughs> so so don't, don't, don't go there. Praise the Lord. Learn what, what you can and let God apply it. Are, are you listening to me? I, really, the New Testament tells us what we're supposed to learn from Job. It said, behold the patience of Job. That's it. The patience. The only time Job's mentioned in the Bible, other than in the book that bears his name, is in the book of James. And James tells us what to learn from Job. Job was patient. He didn't quit. There's the takeaway from the book of Job. Don't quit. Are you here or not? Yes. Amen. It's not rocket science. It's just a matter of reading it and believing it. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you, uh, so shall you be established. It's walking in the light of God's Word on a daily, regular, ongoing basis that establishes you. It will establish your life. It will establish your family. It will establish your, your economy. It will establish your strength and health. It will establish you in whatever you're doing. And you need to be established. In other words, a foundation. That's your foundation. But then part two of that is believe His prophets, so shall you prosper. Now, Here's how we apply this. Here's, how you, here's the takeaway from this. Believe his prophets. His, the prophet is there for a now word from God. The Bible is there for an all the time, every day word from God. And these things don't change. But there are times you need something now. Judah needed something now. They got the Old Testament and they got all the promises, but they've got an army arrayed against them and they need to know what to do now. And this is the job, or this is where the prophet comes in. Because God not only gives you the foundation of the Word and gives you all that to, to establish yourself in, but He'll tell you day by day, moment by moment, what to do now. What to do in the light of this situation. And this is where the prophet comes in. Now, you understand this, in the Old Testament, the prophet was the only ministry gift that was named. Under the New Covenant, the prophet's anointing has been distributed over what we call the five-fold ministry. The, the apostle, the prophet, the New Testament prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. Under the Old Covenant, the prophet was the only one anointed of God that stood in the five-fold ministry. But today, that that anointing and that responsibility has been spread out into all five of these New Testament offices. Now, there are still prophets in, in the, the body of Christ, but they, they operate and they, they function differently a little bit than the Old Testament prophets simply because of the change in covenant. 
we, we, you know, in, in some, among some circles, everybody's a prophet. But in reality, you're going to encounter mighty few prophets in your life. Occasionally, you may find one. Brother Hagin was a prophet of God. But notice what he did. Notice how God used him. God used him to spearhead a move to bring truth into the earth that remains here today. So he's a, he's a perfect example of one of the more recent prophets. All right? Amen. And, and, and that's the way that God will use. Not, not always in an international or worldwide way, but nonetheless the prophet is, is, is a little different today than he was then. Here's the ministry gift that you and I are going to have the most contact with, and that's the pastor. The apostle, he's going to be out establishing churches. Sometimes an apostle, you, you, may, you may encounter a pastor who has an apostolic anointing on because that's the equipment to start and, and build a church. Are you, are you here? Every pioneer pastor has a little bit, has a measure of that apostolic anointing on him. But, but for the most part, you're not going to encounter too many of those either. The apostle, the prophet. Well, the, the prophet, he's not called to the local church. The evangelist, he's overseas and he's spreading the good news and setting people free. But the pastor is the office that you are going to most likely encounter. Because God gives every believer a connection with and an association with a pastor. So when we read this, Believe the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe His prophets, so shall you prosper. Understand that the prophet, we have scriptural basis for recognizing that primarily that prophet in your life is going to be your pastor. And when the church, the New Testament church, is functioning as it should, the pastor is going to be given the now word for his people. And it's not going to be the same across the world. Now, for instance, look at this story. What did the prophets tell them to do? Gather the singers, put them out front, and tell them to march first toward the army. I, I realize there are principles that are there that can be used in a lot of, lot of scenarios. But keep this in mind. This was not a word that he gave to every army in every, in every battle that was, ever, that was going on even at that time. I dare say that in Africa they were probably having some conflict. In India there was something going on. Maybe even the, the, the indigenous people here in the North America. Somebody was fighting with somebody. But this word didn't go out for them. This word went out for Jehoshaphat and his people. And this is what a pastor will do. A pastor will get a word for his people for now because places are different. And people are different and, thing, and, and people are going through different things. And while even not everybody in the church may be going through exactly the same situation, yet there is going to be a current in the church. There will be, there'll be things that will happen. happen. I, I observed this early on. I, realized, I saw these things happen. They came in patterns. Pastor, I'm sure that you, you guys have seen it. It seems like, you know, this month everybody's sick. A common attack against so many people. And then there's situations where it seems like everybody's getting divorced. 
Now then everybody's having financial problems, but not all at once. I mean, these things kind of run in cycles. And I recognized early on that Satan, uh, uh, he, he launches offensives. He launches offensives against a body of believers as well as the individual. And they'll be, for whatever reason, you don't always know the reason why that happened or where the door opened or anything like that. Some of that doesn't even matter. I think a lot of times we waste too much time wondering why is this happening? You know, where, where was the door open? Well, who gives a rip? Let's just shut the thing. Are you here? And, and, and so over the years of pastoring, so many times, the Lord has given me a word for my church. I'll, go, I'll, I'll come into a service and, you know, I'll have my teaching all ready to go and, uh, you know, my, my, my flavor of the day. And I'll get up there and the Holy Ghost will just change everything. And I'm not talking about some wild off the wall, bouncing off the wall Holy Ghost service. I'm just talking about He'll change my direction and give the people the word they need now. See? And a lot of that is because of the dynamic of the relationship between the pastor and the church. It's not about just what I think they need. It's about what they're pulling on. And when I'm yielded to the Holy Ghost in the pulpit, the Holy Ghost then will flow to those that are drawing. I've, had, I've seen God change a service or even not necessarily change it at the last minute, but just orchestrate a service. He may give me this a week in advance, a month in advance. You see, I've seen Him though direct a service in a particular direction for one individual. Just one person. He'll change that. He'll have that whole service flow. Now everybody gets blessed that's there to receive. Don't get me wrong. It's not like everybody's left out. But I've just seen it happen over and not just once or twice or ten times. But over the years, scores of times, I've seen God change a service or direct a service or orchestrate a service for one person who was pulling, who was drawing. That's what I mean. You believe His prophets and you'll prosper. The relationship that you have with your pastor is going to be the way that God most commonly reaches you and fulfills this passage of Scripture in your life. So it then behooves us to protect that relationship. Not just protect it, but to develop it and to cultivate it. Can you say amen? amen. Glory to God. And, and, and it's very important that you understand this. When I say your pastor... Pastor is not a person any more than prophet is a person or evangelist is a person. Pastor, prophet, evangelist is a gift. It is a divine gift. It is not something that a man can aspire to. You can desire it, but you cannot create it. You can't anoint yourself. No man can call himself, no man can anoint himself. If he is called and if he is anointed, it is God. If it is God, what God wants us to do as believers, all of us, is keep our attention on the God side of this thing. You see? Because when God's hand, when God's calling, when God's anointing is on somebody, that's the part of that person. That's the part of that human existence that is going to meet your need. And so we've got to learn how to draw, how to pull, how to, how to receive that supernatural endowment. Now, I know you know these things, okay? I'm not here to tell you something you don't know. 
I'm not here to try to impress you with anything. I'm just doing what Hebrews 12 talks about, a little bit of coaching here. Just improving your swing just a little bit. Just improving your stride just a little bit, you know. How you point your feet in running track make all the difference between first place and sixth place. Amen. I mean, everybody can run, but not everybody can run like that. See? And that's where a coach comes in. And all of you are called to do certain things. And all of you are called to succeed. And all of you are called to win and to, 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 to prosper and, and, and experience God's best in your particular field of endeavor. But you need a coach. And this coach in the body of Christ is a supernatural coach. And what he brings, he brings supernaturally. And it has to be received supernaturally because it is imparted and endowed supernaturally. Praise God. So we read here, believe in the Lord your God. Let's read it like this. Believe in the Word of God and you'll be established. Believe your pastor and you'll prosper. Is that all right? You think that's doing injustice to the, uh, to the, to the Scripture? No, it's definitely not. <clears throat> Go with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Notice what Jesus said here. Verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. I'm going to tell you something, folks, and, and, and I'm not talking about anybody in particular, but I'm speaking in general and speaking truth. There's a lot of robbers in the body of Christ. A lot of thieves out there. A lot of these churches that seem to be just experiencing all this, you know, flash and razzle-dazzle, they're not, they're, they're, they're not pastored by pastors. They're pastored by businessmen. These businessmen are good at finance and they're good at drawing a crowd and they're good at a lot of these things, but there's no pastor. There's no gift in that church. People go for the coffee and a concert. It's a dog and pony show. It's, 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 it's big production, but very minimal impact, spiritually speaking. People don't grow. If you're not growing, you're going backwards. Because there is no static in the spiritual sense. There's no static even in the natural sense. You're either getting older or you're getting better. I'm getting better. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. That's what God's called us to. But he that entereth in by the door, Jesus said in verse 2, is the shepherd of the sheep. The door, of course, is the call of God and the anointing of God, Jesus being the head of the church and being the bestower of the gifts, the Holy Ghost being the confirmer and the, the you know, enabler, so to speak, of the gifts. To him the porter opens, verse 3, and the sheep hear his voice. Everybody say his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Verse 4, and when he puts forth his own sheep, he goeth before them and the sheep follow him for they know His voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from Him, for they know not the voice of strangers. And here's the thing. God will always put a voice in your life. 
And that voice that God is speaking of, as he said here, is not a hireling, and he's not a thief and a robber. He goes on to talk about the hireling later on in the chapter. But the voice that God puts in your voice is the voice of a shepherd. It's the shepherd's voice. Now listen, the New Testament shepherd, Pastor Jerry here has a voice. We understand that. Every speaking, speaking spirit has a voice. We're created in the image of God, and so we, we all have a voice. But when God's anointing, when God's call, when God's anointing is on and operative, there will be a voice behind the voice. And that's the voice that makes change. See, when he said earlier, hear his prophets or believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. Well, anybody can hear a man speak. But the question is, can you hear the voice behind the voice? That's where the, that's where the answers are. That's where the victory is. The voice behind the voice. I've had people come up to me after service and say, boy, pastor, I tell you, you that changed my life today. Well, that makes you feel good, you know, because you, you know, it's always a good thing to hear. And so, you know, you're looking for that kind of that extra thing and you say, yeah, really? Well, what was it about the service that you like? Well, when you said, and they say something I know good and well I didn't say. It was a truth, but I didn't say it. They heard a voice behind the voice. I provided the carrier. I provided the I provided the preparation. I provided the, the, the obedience. But my voice became a carrier for a voice that was greater than mine. <laughs> Glory to God. That's the voice that changes things. That's the voice. When you hear that voice, that's the voice that is the game changer. That's the difference between success and floundering and failure. Are you here? And that voice behind the voice, that's the supernatural equipment. Anybody could get up here and read you something. But when the anointing is there, that's when you'll hear the voice behind the voice. I know I was, I, I probably shared this last year, but I was in uh, Brother, hey, Brother Copeland's minister's conference. Just an instance where this happened. It's happened to me over the years, I, I don't know, countless thousands of times. I have thousands and thousands of pages of notes that I have taken and written things God said to me in services. That's the reason I go to them. I go to church to hear from God. I don't go to church to hear a sermon. I go to hear from God because I know God's got something for me when I go to hear. And I'll come back to this, but what I do determines how well I hear. But I was at minister's conference. The Lord had spoken to me in Brazil back in 2015 and spoke to me about restoration. I taught on it last year. Some of y'all may remember. But I was in Brother Copeland's minister's conference in 2016, January of 16. My wife and I were sitting on the second row over there. I was sitting on the end, you know, and uh, Brother Copeland was down here. And I don't even know what he was preaching on. I honestly, don't have, I have no memory of what he said. I was just enjoying the atmosphere. There was a presence. There was an atmosphere in that room that day because the anointing was there. And I was, I was in listening mode. You know, <clears throat> sometimes it's just good. You have to understand the value because I know there's a lot of opposition to this. People, people they want 
They tailor their church services so that everybody comes in and they're always jumping and shouting and praising. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with praise and worship. It's good. But there is something that you'll get just from being in this, this, uh, this mode. Because you're sitting there and you're not thinking about what you're about to say. You know that you've got no, nothing to say in this service. You know that you've come to hear. And so that part of you shuts down and you're tuned in. And you can't get that somewhere. You can't get that in a round table discussion. See? And that's why church services like this have stood the test of time. All fads come and go. But these kind of services, they've been here since the birth of the church where the word is taught and people are listening. Back in Paul's day, people stayed in church so long they fell asleep and fell out of the window and got killed. But because of the anointing and because of the power and the presence of God, they raised them from the dead. Are you here? Yeah. These kind of services have been around since the beginning of the church. We need these things. Because this is where God talks to you. So Brother Copeland, was, he was teaching on whatever, David and Goliath, you know. I don't know. And he's over here like this, talking, and I'm on the second row. And so I'm, I've got my arm up on the back of the seat. My wife's sitting next to me, and I'm kind of looking back over behind her because he's walked that far back. I mean, I know you can see the screens, but I like to watch the man. As so I got my eye on, on him, and the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And it had nothing to do with what he was saying. But the Holy Ghost said, I am going to demonstrate my ability to restore in you. It almost sounded audible. I knew it wasn't. But I thought, my goodness, that sounds, yeah, I'm down for that. And then the Holy Ghost paused and said, I'm asking you to believe for it. And in that brief moment, I, it's, it's taken me years to unwind it all and just to, absorb it all and to think about it. And it I keep going back to it. That was, a vo that was the voice of God. That was the voice behind the voice. I take nothing away from what Brother Copeland was doing. I don't know what he said, but he created an atmosphere where the Lord spoke to me. The voice behind the voice. That's what you're looking for. The voice behind the voice. Today, if you will hear his voice, the scripture says, we'll look at that in a few minutes. Let me tell you how to, how, to, how to approach this voice behind the voice. You understand, in the, <clears throat> in the world and in the body of Christ, everything is seed time and harvest. Everything begins as the seed of God's Word. Even the natural universe began as the seed of God's Word. And there's three components, if you will, to this process of seed time and harvest. Number one is the ground. Okay, the ground is your heart. The ground is the human spirit. The seed is the Word of God, and the rain is the Holy Spirit. And all three of these things are necessary. All three of these parts working together are necessary, just like here in growing anything in the world, naturally speaking. You got to have the seed, you got to have the ground, you got to have the rain, the nourishment, the water. Everybody agree with that? Okay. Now, Sunday, uh, Friday night, Phyllis got up, um, 
Pastor Trudy or Pastor Jerry mentioned that she got up and said something about uh, that, that she preached. Well, what she said was how the Lord had talked to her about guarding her heart. Or you could say it like this, protect your heart. Why? Why does it matter whether you protect your heart or not? Because that's where the seed is going to bear fruit. You're never going to bear fruit in the, in the natural realm until it starts on the inside. Jesus said that in Mark 4. The sower sows the word. The word falls into the ground of the heart. Out of the heart, man brings forth these good things. Your prosperity, true Bible prosperity, starts in the heart. It doesn't start in a checkbook. It'll show up in the checkbook, but it doesn't start there. Now, people can prosper in their checkbook without prospering in their heart, but it's not Bible prosperity. It's not supernatural prosperity. They may be operating godly principles, and God put these principles for anybody that'll work them. But if you want, it, it, we're, we're talking now about a step above. I'm not talking about just economic prosperity. I'm talking about divine prosperity now. And I think really that's what y'all want. I don't think you just want to be more prosperous. I think you want divine prosperity. Am I right? I got a friend in this place today? Okay. And so uh, guard your heart because that's where the seed's going to be planted. But now the seed is mighty important too. You got to have good seed. Well, now we know that God's Word is good seed. As a matter of fact, Peter calls it incorruptible seed. He uses that phrase, by the Word of God, incorruptible seed by the Word of God that lives and abides forever. But now, while I realize there's no, there's no compromise for the pure written holy Word of God, yet we're in this relationship once again, believe His prophets so shall you prosper. Much of the understanding of God's Word, I dare say maybe most of the understanding of God's Word is going to come to you through the revelation of the ministry gifts. Very few people just take their Bible and go sit in the log cabin somewhere and come out with copious amounts of revelation. Where we get it is hearing people that have been down the road further than we have sharing it that are called, that are anointed to enlighten us. How much of the world is praying, if it be thy will, simply because they hadn't been enlightened by people that know truth? Well, if you don't pray, if it be your will, what do you pray? Easy. Jesus said, pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a good way to pray. I'm going to pray the will of God. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How much sickness is there in heaven? Okay, I rest my case. We don't have to know what His, if it be thy will, because we already know what His will is in heaven. Let it be done in earth. Hallelujah. So again, this revelation, this illumination, this enlightenment comes from the ministry gifts, from the voice that God has put in your life. And what's coming through that voice is that incorruptible seed of God's Word. So what we want to do is we want to not only protect our heart, but we want to protect the seed. I don't mean you, you can't undo the Bible, but you can affect the seed that's coming to you through the voice that God has put in your life. Amen. And what we do, how we approach that, how we, how we relate to that determines 
the level of impact that that seed is going to have in our life. Now let me use a natural illustration. We're talking about races. Let us run with patience the races set before us. One of the things Phyllis and I like are horse races. I don't gamble, but I love to watch those horses run, and especially if there's a triple crown race, you know, at stake. You know, we just had one this year. Triple crown winner, what was it, Justify won. Uh, prior to that, 2015, American Pharaoh won the triple crown. Uh, I, I have a message on Secretariat that'll set you free, and uh, maybe one of these days we'll preach it, or you can download it or whatever. But, well, uh, Brother Dimitri here, he heard me preach it from a, he listened to it on a, a teaching at a service that I did for Jerry Savelle's ministers' conference. I preached it there, and I also preached at Pat Harrison's ministers' conference. He listened to those. He preached it in Ukraine, and they don't even know Secretariat from Adam's off ox. You know, I mean, <laughs> but it just fired him up so much. He just told them all about Secretariat, got the whole country watching the movie, and so <laughs> I'm telling you, it'll, it'll fire you up. But uh, but. Uh, I like, we like the horse races, and we like these triple crown winners and, and so on and so forth. Well, there was a horse a number of years ago, back in the early 2000s. His name was Smarty Jones. Smarty Jones, was he, he won two of the races. Any of y'all ever heard of it? He won two of the races. He won the uh, 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 Kentucky Derby, and he won the, the, uh, the Preakness. And then he came in second at the Belmont. But he, he, he ran this race. Well, his total earnings for his career was $2 million. $2.6 million, I believe it was. He did get a bonus of $5 million, so you could say his, his total earnings plus bonus was $7.6 million. That's pretty good. But that horse, after his racing career, was sold to Three Chimneys Farms for $39 million. Now, what kind of sense does it make for a horse that has $7 million in lifetime earnings to be sold for $39 million? Because the real value in that horse was not the races that he ran, it was the seed in that horse. And what they're buying is that seed. Huh? They put him out to stud, and Three Chimneys Farm paid 30, well, the total deal was worth $39 million. Now, I've researched it a little bit because I'm interested in these things. I've been out to Kentucky, I've looked at these horse farms, you know, and just... These, uh, these, these big thoroughbred places, I, I, it just, it's, it's cool to me. And you ought to see the way that they treat these thoroughbred stud horses. You, 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 talk, about, you talk about providing for an animal. Well, you, you think about it. You've got an, a, a $39 million investment in an animal. Are you just going to hook him to a plow and beat him until the field's done? Are you going to neglect him after it's all done? You're going to eat first and, you know, if I feel like it, we'll feed him later. Uh, is that the one? No, that's not the way they do it. They know this investment. First of all, let me tell you about the value of the seed. If you want, if you want a dose of seed from that horse, it's going to cost you $250,000, quarter of a million dollars, to get one dose of seed from that thoroughbred horse. And just having $250,000 won't get it because you've got to have a mare that qualifies. You can drive your mare out there in your, you know, nice decked out, pimped out horse trailer 
and you can flash the cash, but if that mare doesn't qualify, I'm talking about having the right kind of bloodline, having the, having the I mean, being worthy of the seed, they won't even let that mare off the trailer. And then most of that, anyway, is done by artificial insemination because they want to protect their horse from even, you know, I mean, rough sex. I mean, they don't want this horse injured in the, in the process. And so most of it is done by artificial insemination. And uh, they treat that seed like gold. It's, it's, it's frozen. It's, you know, I mean, it, um, refrigerated, protected. And uh, a friend of mine who was uh, uh, a FedEx, uh, uh, you know, high up in FedEx, he talked about, he said, yeah, and when, when they ship that seed, FedEx has special trucks, refrigerated trucks that they send out there. And they handle that like it's gold. This, this, this container of seed. And these horses, the way they treat them, they treat them like kings. They have their own veterinarians. They have, they have groomers. They, they'll build the, 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 the stalls, the paddocks, the, the barns. They're cleaner than most of your houses are. You could eat off the floor. I said most of you. Don't be offended. <laughs> I'm sure you, some of you got very clean houses. But seriously, they, 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 I mean, they're spotless. They have full-time attendance on these horses. They have people that are there just to exercise them. They have professional trainers. I don't mean training for the races. I mean just to keep them healthy, exercise. And in the wintertime, I read about one, one uh, thoroughbred farm out there. In the wintertime, they don't want their, their horse out because in Kentucky it gets cold in the winter. They don't want their horse out in the weather. So they built an indoor underwater treadmill where this horse can walk the treadmill and exercise in warm water. They have professional massage therapists who work on these horses. And a pastor friend of mine told me one time she ran into a guy that had, uh, you know, been a massage therapist for humans. Said, you know, are you, are you still doing massage? He said, yeah, but I don't do it for people anymore. He said, you know, I used to, I could make $60 an hour uh, as a massage therapist for a person, but they'll pay me $500 an hour to massage these thoroughbred horses. So they got a guy they're paying five hundred dollars an hour out there just rubbing on on that old horse, you know, and just just to relax him. Why? All that to take care of the seed. And see, here's the thing about it: you can't take care of the inside of that horse where the seed is without taking care of the outside of the horse. Now let's bring it over into the church. Your pastor is the one that God has set in your life to impart seed, the seed of God's Word that's going to register in your spirit and it's going to make the difference in you running your race. And how many churches have you seen? Oh, we're not accusing anybody here, but we know you, you're up to speed. But how many churches have you seen treat their pastor like an old nag? They just tie or ever plow to them, they can, they can hook. 
and then complain when he doesn't plow fast enough. Some people, some th people think their pastor just hangs on a hook until they come by and need him and get him off that hook. But the person that under understands the relationship, this gift of the pastor, the prophet, the teacher, the, the voice in their life, that person knows better. They recognize that, you know, I've got to, I've got to protect the seed. That's what they're doing with these horses. They're protecting the seed. But again, the seed's on the inside, and you protect the inside of the horse by taking good care of the outside of the horse. Isn't that good? Praise the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. No, that's okay. That's okay. It's just, think about these things. Now, how, how can I maximize this, this relationship? How can I maximize this, this seed transfer in my life? Well, let me give you just a few practical things. And we won't take the time to turn over there, but you know the Scripture. Doesn't the Bible say, Proverbs chapter 4, it says, uh, My son, attend to my words. What's the, next verse? What's the next thing of that verse say? Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Incline thine ear. All right, now what does incline mean? Come on, talk to me. It's a Pentecostal church, it's all right. What does incline mean? Doesn't incline mean lean? All right, listen. Lean into the services. Lean into the services. Now I know he said incline my ear, but I'm going to tell you something else. And if you're honest, you'll recognize it. I, I can say these things because I'm leaving tomorrow. <laughs> and if you don't like this, if you don't like me, come back next week and give Pastor Jerry a shot, okay? He, he had nothing to do with it. Seriously, incline means to lean into it. You can tell a lot about a person by their body language. I come to, I, you know, in my church, I'll just use my church as an example. You can always tell whether people are leaning into the Word or whether something's going on in their life and they're leaning away from it. If they're leaning away from it, they'll be sitting back here like this. But if somebody's like this with their Bible and their pen and their, their notebook in their lap and they're, they're listening and they're writing, you can see they're leaning in. They're inclining their ear. God can speak to people like that. I said God can speak to people like that. I said... God can speak to people like that. So incline your ear. Come to hear. Come expecting to hear. And what will happen is the seed of God's Word, the voice behind the voice, will touch your spirit. Amen. Glory to God. Another thing you can do is, uh, um, oh, let's see. How about this? How about this? Take ownership of your church. You're not a guest here. You're part, you're part of the family. Treat it like it's family. And by that I mean, I, I don't mean treat it carelessly. I mean just the opposite. See, I'm staying over at the hotel, over at the Best Western. I stay in a lot of hotels. You know, when I leave or when I take a shower, I'll take my towel and I'll throw it on the floor throw the wash rag over there, you know, in the, or leave it hanging over the bathtub. I don't, I don't care because there's a, a housekeeper who's coming in after I leave and they're going to clean this place up. But, you know, I don't do that at home. I don't throw my towels on the floor at home. 
<laughs> no. I tried. <laughs> but but many, many, many years ago, I got broke from sucking eggs, if you know what I mean. You know, I <laughs> no, no, that's my house. I don't want it. I don't want to treat it that way. I want to help take care of it. So, so take ownership and look around when you come in. If you see a piece of trash laying around, pick it up. Don't say that's somebody else's job. Pick it up. Care about how the place looks. Care about how its overall representation. I was walking in a store one time and this guy was walking in ahead of me and there was a blade of grass growing up out of the, the um, sidewalk crack and I noticed. And I was, I'd just gotten there to the store and the guy opened it up. And before he walked in, he reached down and he pulled that blade of grass up by the root, you know, and took it in threw it away. And I looked at him and the Holy Ghost said, that's an owner. How many people, even employees, walk in and out that door every day and, don't, and see it but don't think a thing about it? But he's the owner. And that's the owner's attitude. That blade of grass made a difference to him. So he pulled it out because he, he, he knew that somebody might see that and it would make an, an impression. Praise the Lord. Can you say amen? amen? Here's something that you can do in order to receive the seed and hear the voice behind the voice. Call on the gift. I started into this a while ago and I, I, I swerved aside, but let's go back to it. Call on the gift. I, I tell you, over the years, I, I learned this. People that call me by my first name, Scott, my name is Scott Webb. That's who I am. That's the name I was given at birth. But there's also a divine calling and a divine anointing on me. And there's a gift that God has placed in me, and that gift is the pastor. And I always notice this. The people that called me pastor always got more from me than the people that called me Scott. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, he asked Peter, he said, or he asked the disciples, he said, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? You ever read that? Can you put that up there? Let's look at it. Matthew 16, I believe 13. See if that's it. There you go. Matthew 16, 13. Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked the disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, he didn't ask, Who do they think I am? Who do they believe I am? They said, Who do they say I am? Then he asked Peter. After they answered, Some say you're Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some one of the prophets. Then he said, then he said, now back up one more. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Who do you say that I am? He didn't say, who do you think I am? Who do you believe I am? Or who do you want me to be? He said, who do you say? Because who, whatever you say about Jesus is what you're going to get from him. If he's your savior, if you call him that, that's what he'll be to you. If he's your healer, if you call him that, that's what he'll be to you. If he's just another religion, that's what he'll be to you. Same way, this principle is throughout the Word of God. When you call on the supernatural part of a man, then that's what you'll get from him. Who do you say? See, I don't even, this man here, there's a gift in him. and He didn't know I was going to say this. Don't blame him. This man here, there's a gift in him. I don't even call him Jerry. He esteems me. He has, you've heard him introduce me. He's, 
he, he's, he said, I've imparted into his life, but this is Pastor Jerry, and this is Pastor Trudy to me. Because as much as I, as much as I care about the personal relationship, I value the seed in them, the call upon them even more. So call on that. Don't just let it be a title. Call on it. When you say pastor, you're calling on the divine part of this, this, uh, this called servant of God. Amen. Now, in, in, in working with them and in serving, serving them, do this. Learn their way of doing things. Don't just do what they want done. Learn how they want it done. Everybody's got their way of doing things. But where the church flows together and where the church is strengthened is doing things their way. Sometimes there have been people in my life that, you know, I, I knew they were good people. But man, I'll tell you, they caused me problems because no matter what I told them to do, they always had a better idea. I remember I told one guy something simple. I said, all right, somebody's giving us a piano. Take that piano over and put it here. Is that ambiguous? Is that, I mean, how hard is it? Take this piano and put it in this place. So he brought his truck and some help. And later on, I saw him. I said, did you do it? He said, well, we took it over and we put it in my basement. I said, why'd you put it in your basement? Well, I just thought it, you know, it wouldn't be in the way there. I didn't mind having it. I just, I just thought it'd be better. <sighs> See? A better idea. And it was like that all the time until finally he just washed out and became shipwrecked in the things of God. Just learn not only what to do, but how to do it. How, how your pastor wants it done. Thank God. Amen. Do everything you can to protect that seed. Do everything that you can to protect and, and, and make things easier. You remember the story of Moses and Aaron and Hur? How that when Moses had his hands up, they were fighting Amalek and the battle prevailed, uh, Israel prevailed over the battle, but his hands got weary. And when he dropped them, you know, then Amalek prevailed. So Aaron and Hur went up there on the mountain and Moses, they set Moses down on the rock and each one got on his east side and held his hands up and they, they won the battle. See, Moses' hands up, that, that's, he's connected with heaven. When his hands went down, when he got tired, the connection was broken. But it didn't just affect Moses, it affected the whole nation. Lift your hands like this. Hold your hands up. Come on, you ain't got nothing else to do. Hold your hands up there. Keep them up. Now just keep them up. Don't put them down. Amen. Keep them up there. Praise the Lord. Another thing you can do, keep them up there. Another thing you can do is when you've got an assignment, be on your post on time. So that he doesn't have, uh, some of y'all putting your hands down. What's the matter? You getting tired? Huh? How long has it been? 30 seconds? Huh? Keep your hands up there. Keep them up. That's good. Be on your post on time. Recognize that you represent this family. Glory to God. Anybody getting tired? Huh? Starting to get weary? You need some help? Huh? 
It's been less than a minute. See, it doesn't take long. You can put them down. It doesn't take long until you start feeling that. You help your pastor. You get on either side of him. You help him keep his hands up. Keep that connection. The best gift that your pastor can give to you is to have a relationship with God, not a personal relationship with you. Help him protect the personal relationship with God rather than a personal relationship with you. And finally, just, just you know, all this that we're talking about is develop a servant's attitude. Just have the, have the attitude of a servant. Don't, don't get possessive of any particular area. I like to say it like this. Develop a spare tire attitude. A spare tire mentality. What do I mean by that? Well, now, you know, you go out there to your car or your truck or whatever, and you got the right front, you got the left rear. Every tire on the truck has a title. Right front, left rear, left, I mean, left rear, left front, right rear. I, that's a right rear tire right there. That's a right front tire right there. But there's one tire that's just sitting back there in reserve. It's called the spare tire. It doesn't have a title because it doesn't care where you use it. The right front goes down, the spare's ready. I'll be the right front, but he'll be just as readily be the left rear. See? Now you be a spare tire Christian. Don't protect your title. Protect the job and make sure that, you're, that the assignment is being fulfilled. A lot of times musicians, especially, particularly bad about, musicians particularly, particularly bad about this, they get possessive of their instrument. Possessive of their, that guitar is mine. And don't you come near it. Like an animal marking his spot. No. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. Be willing to be used anywhere you need to, to be used. Well, I'm a musician. Yeah, but we need you in children's church. Yeah, but I'm a... God called me... To, uh, uh, uh. You're about to mess up. Don't blame God for your pride or your unwillingness to be a team player. Oh, glory to God, this is good. Man, I'm glad I'm getting out of town, brother. <laughs> Be a spare tire Christian. We're going to close. We're going to turn this back over to Pastor Jerry. But I just, before we go. Thank you for joining us for this message. We'd like to take this opportunity to encourage those listening from anywhere in Central Oregon to join us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. for our regular services. We understand that many do not have a home church and we can't emphasize enough the importance of connecting with a church family. We'd be honored to meet you and spend time with you praising God.